Hello, it's Indali Gregory Azegbi, and you're listening to Break the Glass, a podcast where my guests and I share our experiences as ambitious women determined to make it to the top of the ladder despite the everyday challenges. Welcome back to yet another insightful conversation intended to leave you inspired and motivated. So today I'm with Taya Barrow. Taya, thank you so much for joining me on Break the Glass today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I'm just going to start off with our first question. You know the drill. It is, who are you in your own words? And what part of the world are you currently building a life for yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, so my name is Tayo. I'm a journalist. Um, so I, I'm both a radio producer and a writer. Um, so I'm, opinion, I'm an opinion columnist with The Guardian. Um, and I also do a ton of other like freelance writing um, and also radio producing. Um, and I currently am building my life in Toronto. Tell us more about this city and how, when you, when you got there and what it's like um, moving there, because I know a bit of background about you um, and I know you weren't always in Toronto. So yeah, just tell us a little bit about this city. Yeah, so I've actually lived in Toronto now for, what are we, 2021 uh, or 2022. So now I've been in Toronto for 10 full years. Um, it's a bit of a, an insane city. Like it's definitely a mixed bag. So it can, Toronto has ways in which it's very, very fun and like very nice, like cool to be here because it's like multi-ethnic and you know, like there's always these kind of like cultural or like ethnic enclaves where you know like you can just go somewhere and find your people so in that sense it's like easy to find community and it doesn't feel as isolating but then there's other ways like I'm sure you've heard Toronto is like the most expensive city to live in right now in the world um so I feel like like 10 years in like I love I've always loved living in Toronto but 10 years in I'm kind of like asking myself now at this point like okay what am I really getting for my investment as far as like living in this city and like what does it mean for me to really like kind of reconsider or rethink um, the way that my life has been set up just based on the fact that like it's kind of unmanageable to like try to like build a career and like have a ton of side hustles but also have like be living in an extremely expensive city um, that like sometimes can feel like you're not getting your money's worth. Um, so I think that would be my biggest complaint about living in this city. But other than that, like it's home. Um, so you kind of get used to it. I get that. But um, as a resident Manhattanite, I will have to disagree that Toronto is the most <laughs> expensive city. Um, <clears throat> no, we'll definitely, saying, have to, we'll definitely have to disagree no, no, on see, that. No, see, this is what I don't like. This is <laughs> <laughs> New York. Listen, listen, no, I, listen. Your, your, fight, your pushback is listen. legitimate. <laughs> you are a New York guy. You're a Manhattanite. So I, I feel you. But listen, my Toronto people know. We know what we're dealing with here. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy um but yeah no it's like I I do still feel like even though there's ways that I feel like this city hates me and is like trying to force me out um, I feel you I feel you on that (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's still like I don't know there's just like that thing about it being home um so I still yeah like my heart is still kind of here I'm not ready to make that jump yet and you mentioned something earlier in terms of how hard it might be to side, like start side hustles or, you know, go outside of your kind of nine to five. So, you know, just jumping on that. So what's your current role and in an official capacity, of course, and what other things are you interested in, if that, if any, um, outside of that day to day role? Yeah. So um, 
as I mentioned, my current role is like I'm kind of a free agent. Um, so my current, I guess my like my most consistent gig is I'm right now a columnist, an opinion columnist with The Guardian. Um, and I also am a radio producer with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, um, which is like where I does where my nine to five used to be. Um, but then I left and now I'm kind of back on contract. So those are like my two main gigs that are kind of consistently always happening. Um, but I also started an online magazine um, called CC Mag that's like dedicated to just telling the stories and sharing experiences of like Black women and non-binary folk in, in a Canadian context. Because like that's something that I found was like really, really missing um, in terms of the media landscape just of Toronto, but like Canada as a whole as well was like we live in such a beautiful like you know, diverse and multicultural country, but it almost feels like in a lot of ways, like our stories and our experiences, um, you know, by virtue of that, just like the media that is like dedicated to us um, is very, very, still very lacking. Um, So that was just something I found that like I didn't have. So I wanted to create a space where like other black women could, you know, read stories and like share experiences um, that they could relate to. So CC Mag is kind of like my my main baby slash side hustle. Um, but yeah, when you're a freelancer, everything is like a side hustle. <laughs> the other thing, which I'm sure like you can kind of relate, like everything, every job feels like your second job. Everything, even uh, your nine to five. Your jog- <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, even your nine to five feels like a side hustle because you're juggling so much. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much like what I tend to concern myself with primarily on a day to day. And then the the purview of my work, um, particularly my writing, is mainly focused around like blackness and black people. Um, so I also just try to find ways to like engage with whatever conversations um, are happening with as it relates to blackness, um, the black diaspora black women like whatever that is so I'm always kind of like yeah always happy to be in conversation or be engaging things that have to do with just being black I mean I love that you've done that because I was even looking um at a recent study I think that was in the news yesterday or today that one in three um Canadian immigrants consider leaving after about two years um so it was just like a really interesting factoid and you know maybe that and you know in turn goes back to the fact that they lack that sense of community that you're obviously trying to build with Sissy Mag. Absolutely yeah that's such an interesting stat to hear because I think the kind of public image um, that of that Canada kind of presents of itself is like this you know welcoming kind of like melting pot and home for everyone and like so it's just interesting to hear that people's lived experience might not necessarily always line up with you know what the kind of public perception is um, of what that experience is so it's interesting to hear that and talking about immigration what would you say were some of the barriers to entry that you faced if any at all um not just in your nine to five but also like with launching sissy mag and getting that you know off the off on the good start and yeah and getting that off the ground and stuff so my just going back it's like my own career like early career story I wouldn't say and again like this is I recognize that this is a huge privilege for me to be able to say this but like I was in a really good like journalism program um and then I kind of just like um that's like snowballed into me getting my first like internship um with a public broadcaster and then from there that's how I got my first job in journalism so 
I know that that is definitely not the typical story. Um, so my personally, like the barriers to entry that I faced in that sense weren't super high because um, I was already just like embedded in that ecosystem. So it was easy to kind of just, you know, keep going higher and higher from there. But I know that in general, um, for Black people, for Black women in particular, like there's, it can be really, really difficult trying to kind of break into journalism because like the industry itself is just shrinking. Like whoever you are, like journalism, like as an industry, there's just less and less, like it's like we have, we're having to do more and more with less and less money every single year. And this is across print and broadcast and like, like every single aspect um, of you know, just being in media. So I think, of course, like if the industry itself is shrinking, that means that there's less and less opportunities. And being, you know, a marginalized person, that means there's even less and less and less opportunities for you. So I think just generally the landscape and the ecosystem of what what media looks like right now in North America, um, it can be very daunting in terms of trying to start a career in journalism. And then you add the other layer of like being a marginalized person or being a person of color um, and having to deal with, you know, of course, the typical prejudices and biases that people deal with in any kind of workspace. Um, but I think when it comes to being a Black journalist in particular, there is definitely, I, th- I feel like there's more avenues for people to kind of question your um, legitimacy in those spaces because there's this kind of notion that journalism is supposed to be inherently you know objective there there is no such thing as full objectivity i don't personally think that that should be goalposts i think for me like what we should be aspiring to in our work as journalists is always truth um but this idea that it's even possible for one human being to be completely unbiased about any one topic is just ridiculous but then that's like a rule that gets weaponized against um, you know, journalists of color or like journalists who are experiencing any kind of marginalization because it's like, oh, well, how can you be objective about a story, you know, that relates to the Black community when you're a Black woman? Well, how can you be objective about a story about white people when you're a white man? Like, it's like those, nobody ever asked the question the other way around, but right. it's almost like a dumb moment, you know, it's like, well, yeah. obviously, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, these institutions are predominantly white. And so at the end of the day, you know, we have like our power in those spaces is very limited. Um, But that's like one thing that for me just like will never cease to piss me off um, in terms of just the way that like marginalized people are viewed um, when it comes to traditional journalism, because it's like that that trust isn't there when the reality is no like me being a black person being a black woman puts me in a better position to understand this story and to tell it and to you know do like get into all the nuances and do a good job um, of the story but again that's just another tactic to keep like excluding marginalized people from these spaces so I think for me that's like the one thing that sticks out in my mind Um, and then just like general everyday racism like it's hard (laughs) being a person of color trying to break into an industry um, and institutions that are predominantly white and so that's something that I think all like all people especially just coming up in the industry um, face. So I mean and you touched on this briefly already but um, obviously when you're writing you're coming from writing from the point of view of a black woman and there was an article that you wrote recently and I know you got quite a lot of backlash 
you know, from that article, again, from predominantly white men. Um, so like, how do you tend to deal with that? Is it sort of a, is your, you know, is your feeling just sort of like a deal with it? Or is it, you know, I'm going to sit down and explain to you why my like voice is as, you know, valid as yours? That's so interesting that you asked that because it's something that I've definitely been thinking about. Um, and as you say, like I'm right now, I'm definitely still in that moment of like dealing with the backlash because the article just came out yesterday. So I'm still just kind of like... And it was fantastic, like mom, by the way. It was so well you. written. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, like my mom, literally just before I hopped on this call, my mom called me and was like, they are really coming for you. Like, what happened? What's going on? And I was like, this is what happens when Black women speak truth to power. White people, white men feel threatened. Um, and it forces them to confront uncomfortable truths about themselves that they really don't want to see. So you know, then it becomes, well, why are you making everything about race? Well, at the end of the day, everything is kind of about race. So if we go back, um, but yeah, no, just in terms of dealing with the trolls and dealing with like this kind of really heavy backlash, my general like thing, my general rule is like, I don't engage only because I've been doing this long enough to know that 99% of people who are coming for you online in that way are not looking to engage in good faith. So there's nothing, there's nothing you could say that would change their minds. There's nothing you could say that could convince them. So you're just going to be going back and forth in this kind of like toxic, like echo chamber of like, okay, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. Well, you're a racist. So you're a racist. So you're a racist. And, there's just like that to me that serves no purpose like the people who I'm more interested in engaging with are people who like really do want to think about these issues and think critically about these issues and like ask themselves the hard questions about the ways that they participate in these harmful systems and how they re-perpetuate these harmful cycles so I'm not really interested in the John Doe 12345 on Twitter who who you know has has called me seven different types of monkey like at the end of the day yeah it's irritating it's annoying you know I had to go out today and kind of take a walk because it's like reading through hundreds of 50 and you're and you're reading emails. through all of them aren't you yeah yeah. I have to read through all of them because it's like, again, like I, I have a hundred emails in my inbox. I don't know which one is like, you know, coming from a troll and I don't know which one is, could be the bag. So I have to kind of like, I do, I can't like completely disengage, right? So on that level, it's just like, yeah, you do kind of have to face it in some way. But as far as engaging, going back and forth, explaining, I said everything I need to say in my in my article. So you can read it and take what you want to take from it, or you can read it and disagree. But I, that's the other the other thing is like trusting your work is really important because I like if I spent the time to write eight hundred words and explain myself and make my case, I'm not come waking up the next day to explain myself to anybody else. I'm just not. Mic drop. Um, so when you're <laughs> when you're not fighting trolls, what is a typical day like? What does that look like to you? Since you know you're a freelancer, but you do also have a lot of time sensitive projects. I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's it's funny because as you said, I am a freelancer. So a typical day for me looks very very different from day to day. Um, but for the most part, I like get up early, like do admin stuff because that and that's again, like one of the bigger pieces of like freelance work that a lot of people don't realize is like there's so much admin work to do, whether it's like returning emails, filing invoices, responding to, you know, questions, responding to assignments, like all of those things. 
Um, so I typically try to spend like the earlier parts of my day just like doing admin stuff. Um, and then I'll dive into like whatever is on my list for the day. So whether it's like an article I have, a deadline for, or, um, you know, some like audio stuff I have to do, like whatever the thing is that I have to do, I make sure I have like all my admin stuff out of the way so like my brain can actually focus on the real tasks. Um, and then I just kind of go through like whatever it is I need to do um, until it's evening. Um, and then I try to like get a workout in if I can. Um, and then for the most part, and this is like kind of the unhealthy part, I do find myself doing work after that so it's like <laughs> it's like that's when my second like life starts or my second day starts it's like after your workout and your dinner you're like okay now it's time to face like all this other work um so I'm still figuring out how to like balance or or reconfigurate my current balance because in my mind this is balance I'm like okay I did work in the morning I hung out a bit and then I did work at night but um it's hard as as you like as a freelancer or as a contract person to feel like you you're on a schedule like you feel like you're constantly on you feel like you have to be working 24 7 um just to be productive so I don't think I ever really turn off I just like have times when I'm working or not working so what would you say that your your rocket hack in terms Mm. of you know what what does help you what's your aid and like switching off just a little bit you know is it like walking away walking outside your plants because I know you're a very dedicated plant mom Mm -hmm. Um, so so what's your rocket hack for people listening that also have like the same issue turning off and just like resting like we need to Mm -hmm. rest more a period as people but yeah what would you what advice would you give yeah no absolutely rest is important rest is radical like we need rest um so yeah my plants are definitely always a nice like distraction um and a nice way to just like unwind so I do check on those and I should have added that to my like routine but yeah I check my plants every day and just like talk to them like speak affirmations to them water them give them whatever they need and it's just like a fun thing for me to do like it's a nice way for me to feel like I'm kind of engaging with something meaningful that isn't work um so there's that so just like keeping plants at home is always nice um and then actually turning off like when people say turn off they mean do not disturb no 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 actually turn off the cell phone um which is something I've started doing recently so I'll just like turn my phone off um, and then put it in another room until I need to, until I need it again, or until I'm done the task I'm doing. Um, and then the final thing was this other thing that I've also been trying, and I'm completely going to forget what the name of it is, but it's that thing where you like work consistently and like really productively for 25 minutes and then you stop and then you do like something else, whatever, and then come back to it again for another just block of 25 minutes of just like hard work. I think that's the um, Pomodoro technique. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I've been trying that out as well. Um, and it's been not as effective as actually having your phone turned completely off, but it has helped me just kind of feel like, like when those 25 minutes of me working are over, I feel like, okay, I've actually done work. Um, and even just psychologically, that feeling of knowing that you've done work or that feeling of feeling productive um, definitely adds like more fuel to you. So it just gives you more energy to keep working. Um, so yeah, I think those would be my productivity hacks. I love that. And honestly, kudos to you because I think the thought of turning my phone off 
gives me heart palpitations. I couldn't, I honestly, I couldn't do it. I'm not even ashamed. I, I know. think that that's <laughs> a massive top three fear of mine, along with like heights, is turning my phone off and just like having it off. The only time it goes off is for like an update. And even then, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is so stressful. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I love that. And that's like, it's something that I think we should all be more mindful of and um, practice a bit more really switching off um but I think that's the end of our show today thank you so much for your time and your insights and I will make sure to link everything we've spoken about um you know in the title of the podcast episode um keep killing it out there like honestly you've been so consistent (laughs) been so consistent with your writing and I think this um, op-ed um, journey that you're on right now is just such a perfect way for you to really get your message out there and reach the people you're trying to reach and even the people you're not trying to reach and hopefully mm-hmm. they they change their minds or they get a little bit more insight into the world outside of their bubble um, but yeah thank you so much for coming on break the glass tile thank you this was so much fun thanks for having me until next time